You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of The Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So the Combine, the NFL Combine, has come and gone since the last time we talked. And we're going to talk about a specific thing from the NFL Combine. Today on the show, we're going to talk about a lot of things on the show. One of the first things that I want to talk about, and I want to get out of the way early because I'm just not super good at this part, is this. One of the reasons that I joined a network rather than became an independent podcaster is because I'm not a very good self-promoter. It makes me feel really awkward. I come into situations with the mindset that arrogance is one of the worst traits that a human being can have. And it always feels really bad to me inside when I'm out here trying to convince you how great my show is or how great I am. So if you could do me a favor, if you would be willing to, and it's been a long time since I've talked about this, if you would be willing to leave me a review. If you go to the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network, wherever it is you listen to your podcasts, and you leave me a review, and you talk about the fact that you're enjoying the show, or maybe you're not enjoying the show, whatever it is, if you are willing to do that for me, it would mean a lot. It helps more people find the show, it helps more people find the network, and I would be personally very grateful. So, moving along to things that hopefully I'm better at, now that the combine is over, Free agency is getting ready to begin in the NFL. And a couple of years ago, I outlined a few target governance archetypes that I like to use when I'm personally scouting free agents that I'd like my team to acquire. Because the goal of any free agent contract is to get surplus value, to get a player who outperforms the contract. If you'll notice... There's a lot more of those things in the draft pick world than there are the free agent world. And part of it's because teams don't really follow a set of rules. So I drew up a set of rules for myself as far as situations where I felt like you could get surplus value, value above the deal you got, the Jordan Poyers, the Micah Hydes of the world, some of the best free agent signings in recent memory 
for the Buffalo Bills. And so I outlined four archetypes, and I'm going to go through them today, and we're going to go through the 2023 free agent class and pick a player who fits to every archetype. This is not designed to go through and be an entire free agency primer as far as targets go. It's designed to try and set our mindsets up to the type of players, the type of players and their situations where you could potentially as a team get surplus value. Bruce's free agent archetype number one, victims of opportunity signed to moderate multi-year deals. Players who flashed when they were given playing time, but had very good players ahead of them on the depth chart. John Feliciano was an example of this. Ty Inseki was an example of this. This was times where you had a backup who was ready to elevate in the starting job, but they had good players in front of them. So if there was an opportunity for you to get surplus value, that would be it. These would be players like this. This is wide receiver threes who you think might be ready to become wide receiver twos. It's rotational defensive ends who you think might be ready to become starters. It's the opportunity for you to get surplus value because you're not going to pay these people the way that they might produce if the smaller sample size of their snaps is extrapolated. Now, we all know that efficiency has a tendency to take a tank when quantity goes up. If you have a player who runs for five and a half yards a carry and he gets 60 carries, he's probably not going to run for five and a half yards a carry if he gets 200 carries. Efficiency goes down when volume goes up. We know that. But you can still get surplus value. You can still get a player who is signed for slightly beneath starting X salary and get starting X performance. That's the surplus right there. Going into last year, a player like this would have been Hayden Hurst. The tight end who was drafted by the Ravens fell behind Mark Andrews. Then he goes to Atlanta and they draft Kyle Pitts. And the Bengals signed him. They got him cheap and he produced this year. He's going to be free agent again. He's probably going to get a markedly better deal. That's an example of somebody who just was a victim of opportunity. Saying you're not as good as Mark Andrews doesn't mean you're not worthy of being a starter. Saying you're not Kyle Pitts doesn't mean you're not worthy of being a starter. Just a victim of opportunity. A player in this year's class like this is Mike Boone, the running back for the Denver Broncos. He's behind Dalvin Cook in Minnesota along with Alexander Madison. He finally goes to Denver has an opportunity, immediately gets hurt. Then they're down to signing Latavius Murray off of the street. I said in the preseason, I thought Mike Boone was the best RB3 in football. If you're trying to add an RB3 and you don't particularly care about stylistic comps, you don't want a specific type, you know, oh, I want a power back to merge into the backfield with James Cook and with Naheem Hines then you would go for someone like Mike Boone. Now, I don't think the Bills are going to do it. That's an example of someone who I think could outperform his next contract. Victim of opportunity. If the Bills were serious about adding another tight end for Dawson Knox, a player like Irv Smith coming from Minnesota, that would matter. Irv Smith is still very young. He finally got his opportunity. He was stuck behind a big name when he first got to Minnesota in Kyle Rudolph. Then this year was supposed to be his big breakout year. He gets hurt, 
And then the Minnesota Vikings trade for TJ Hawkinson. They don't even need him anymore. So untapped potential in Irv Smith. Spot Rack says he's going to get $10 million a year. I, I don't think he's going to get $10 million a year. I think he'll get a two-year pretty reasonable deal or a one-year prove-it deal. But that would be an example of a player where if the Bills were to sign him, I would have been, okay, all right. You're trying to get surplus value from that position. So the second free agent archetype is oft-injured players signed to one-year deals. If they don't regain form, little risk. If they do regain form, you get first crack at extension or you get a comp pick credit when they walk. Kevin Johnson, the cornerback that the Bills signed a couple years ago, that's an example. Taking a flyer on somebody to regain form. Maybe not get hurt. Maybe all the things kind of come together. This year's class has two people like that that I would be interested in if I were the Buffalo Bills. I know I'm team do nothing at running back, but if Rashad Penny's going to come for one year and really, really, really cheap, I'll look at that. Rashad Penny. Running back, Seattle Seahawks. Sterling Shepard, wide receiver, New York Giants. Now, I need you to understand, these are really, really small deals. Sterling Shepard tore his Achilles in 2021 and then tore an ACL in September of 2022. So, I mean, we're talking one year, two and a half million dollar stuff, like nothing meaningful at all. These are literally trying to get surplus value with the fact that luck happened and they just didn't get hurt again. Because Shepard's always had a ton of talent. Rashad Penny's always had a ton of talent. Low risk, potentially high reward, and even if they leave the next year, you're getting to reap a reward of a comp pick from somebody else paying up for things like that. So those are two examples of players where if they were coming cheap to me, Absolutely. 100%. I would give Jamison Crowder contracts to Rashad Penny, to Sterling Shepard, one year, $2 million. Really, really, really low. $750,000 signing bonus, $1.87 million guaranteed, $2 million. Right there. That's it. You want lightning to strike at the right time for your team, but you're only willing to take minimal risks to it. Off-dangerous players signed who are one-year deals. Bruce's free agent archetype three, established vets on predictable deals. This is usually a three-plus contract player whose value has been pretty much established, so there's really no upside temptation that inflates risk because you're not trying to pay with projection. Everyone knows what this player is. They're a vet. They've usually bounced around multiple teams. The value's pretty much been established. Andre Roberts was a player like this. Frank Gore was a player like this. In this year's class, Justin Pugh is a player like this. The guard from the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think the market is going to drastically overestimate Justin Pugh. Everyone knows what he is. He's fine. He's all right. You sign him for one year. Four and a half, five million dollars. You go, okay. Give you the Roger Saffold deal, which was six point two five million, something in that neighborhood. We know what you are. The league kind of knows what you are. And unless you just pick that one year to drop off the cliff, then it's pretty predictable. 
We know what you're going to be. That is the ultimate type of plug a hole player. Because when you plug a hole with somebody, you want it to be predictable. You don't necessarily want to swing for the fences. You want to swing for the fences in an area where you can afford to be wrong. Like running back or third receiver when you're going to draft one. You don't necessarily want to swing for the fences in a place where you can't really afford to go wrong. Like guard. There you might want somebody who has had their value well-established, an established vet on a predictable deal. The fourth free agent archetype is fluke availabilities at high-value positions or positions of staggering need. These are star players whose availability is only possible through organizational ineptitude or extenuating circumstances. Mario Williams was a player like this. There's very, very, very few players with Mario Williams's resume, who ever make it to the free agent market. He's not supposed to be there. It's a fluke that he's there. So when things like that happen, sure, by all means, let's go ahead and do it. Von Miller does not count in this. Von Miller is 33 years old. There's a perfectly reasonable explanation as to why he was on the free agent market. It's because of age. This year, I don't think the Bills are going to be playing at all in this bucket these star players at high-value positions or positions of staggering need. I don't think this free agent class is particularly good, but Lamar Jackson would count as this because he got, today, the non-exclusive tag. You don't really have an opportunity to deal with former league MVPs who are 26 very often. It's not a thing that happens frequently. So if I was another team, I'd look at Lamar Jackson as part of this. I know it's kind of weird because he's tags. You have to give up picks if you want to do it. But those are the four archetypes. Now, predictively, you can look at connections between your staff and those players. David Edwards, guard from the Rams, right? Aaron Cromer was there when the Rams were working on developing him. He didn't play a lot this year. So that's, that's a perfect opportunity for the Buffalo Bills. Someone who they know, Aaron Cromer knows, still young enough, but also has the value deflated by the fact that he got hurt this year. So we went through free agent archetypes. We're going to take a quick break. we got a lot of more things to talk about. Stick with me. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about free agent archetypes, 
and things to keep in mind as your team looks at free agents this coming week. You know, when the combine went by, there's so many different things you can take out of it. But two things I want to talk about today, one of them fast and one of them a little bit slower, no pun intended, is that who your team met with at the combine generates a lot of clicks, but it doesn't really matter that much because it doesn't indicate interest. It only indicates investigation. One of the very, very common questions that a prospect will be asked on the podium at their combine was, have you met with the blah, blah, blah? And the answer is almost always yes, I've met with the blah, blah, blah. You know why? Because the teams meet with a ton of different players. It gets a lot of traction. It gets a lot of retweets. It gets some articles that get generated, and that's awesome and everything, but it doesn't really mean anything. It just indicates that they have questions about somebody. They want to look at something. They want to cross their T's, dot their I's. There is no correlation between we met with this guy at the combine and we drafted him. Just no correlation there. So take note of it, and that's neat and everything, but it doesn't really show anything. That was the fast one. The slow one is safety's running the 40-yard dash, pun intended. Big talk about how slow the safety class was this year at the NFL Combine. And so I wanted to do a little bit of digging because you think Buffalo Bills fans of anybody would be very used to having safeties that didn't run blazing 40-yard dashes. So we should be more in tune than most with the idea that you don't have to run in the 4-4s to be a really good safety. Micah Hyde ran a 4-5-6. Jordan Poyer ran a 4-5-4. And in the event that you think that's too small sample size, number one, good for you. You should call me out on that if I'm only using two examples. But how about 12? Here are the top 10 safeties in the NFL in terms of average annual salary in 2022, along with their 40-yard dash time. Quandre Diggs. 456. Marcus Williams, 456. Kevin Byard, 446. Eddie Jackson didn't run a 40, but it is worth noting that he transitioned from corner to safety and linear speed was marked as a negative on many of his scouting reports. That was a contributing factor towards his transition to safety. Buda Baker, 445. Justin Simmons, 461. Harrison Smith, 457, Jamal Adams, 456, Minka Fitzpatrick, 447, Derwin James, 447. The average of this top 10 is 452. If you add in Hyde and Poyer, that number goes up. 13 safeties at the 2023 NFL Combine came in at 459 or better. This is the interesting thing. When you have an aging corner and they begin to lose a step, A common idea is, well, let's just move them to safety. But then when the safeties are naturally a step slower than the corners, some think they're not worthy of being drafted as starters. Well, I don't get it. If a corner loses a step, you say move them to safety. But if the safety is a step slower than the corner, you say no. In the 40-yard dash, a tenth of a second over 40 yards is literally one stride. If you watch the simulcam, The front foot of the guy who runs 
the four five is right at the back foot of the guy who runs the four four. It's one stride. So we have a large sample size showing that if your safety runs in the four fives, they're not classified as a speed outlier. That doesn't mean they're going to be good if they run the four fives. It means that you can reasonably not expect it to be a hindrance. The safety will be able to perform their job duties without linear speed being a hindrance. Safety is also positioned like linebacker, where they gain and lose effective play speed through instincts and recognition. You get there a step faster. You get there a step slower because of your instincts or lack thereof, your recognition or lack thereof. And as the Bills start to transition from the Hyde-Poyer era, where we didn't really have to worry about safeties for a long time, which is, wow, it's going to be Hyde-Poyer. Now we're going to have a different starting tandem very likely next year. I don't think Jordan Poyer is going to be back. And Micah Hyde's going into the last year of his deal. The lessons that have been learned from this period of safety excellence will serve us well moving forward. Safeties do not need to run in the four fours to be effective. I got an email from Evan Baxter who has a free agency almighty take. We've been waiting for Evan to say something ridiculous and he showed up for us. He says, so a lot of understandable consternation about the 2023 Buffalo Bills so far with them being $16.5 million over the cap. However, Bean can get $50 million under the cap through a series of moves that make sense. Following this, we will see we are all wrong and somehow Bean assembles the Avengers for 2023. Bean manages to acquire Derrick Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, OBJ, Robert Woods, Bobby Wagner, re-sign Jermaine Edmonds, draft an offensive lineman who turned down multiple D1 wrestling scholarships to play in the trenches, draft a shifty wide receiver who Stevie Johnson takes under his wing, and shift Benford to safety. They also draft Iowa cornerback Riley Moss because, you know, Sean McDermott. Brandon Bean also takes former advantage of the vet release extravaganza beyond Woods and Wagner's and gets a number of vets who no longer care about the money having gotten their paydays but do care very much about rings and gold jackets. Evan. I don't think Bean will take advantage of all the options to get $50 million in draft cap. I know he can, but I don't think he will. I think there's a chance that there's very likely restructures coming for players like Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen. I think he'll pull the levers as he needs to, to be flexible, but I don't think he'll pull them all at once so that we can have an extravaganza. I know that Evan's not actually meaning that it's going to happen, doing it out of jest. But speaking of Evan, I actually have a final story to tell that is going to wrap up the podcast for today. And Evan's in the story. So I was playing Super Mario Maker with my wife the other day. We were playing some levels that we'd never played before because that's, of course, the joy of Super Mario Maker. And she jumped up on a ledge behind me. I jumped onto a ledge and then she jumped behind me and jumped a little too far and just kind of kept running and just pushed me directly off the edge. My character fell to his death. And I said, what are you doing? You pushed me off the ledge. And I stopped for a second And I said, me, you pushed me off a ledge. And something occurred to me. 
that we use the concept of avatarism a lot. And we should probably be careful where we use it. That's the thing that's not me, that represents me, that is my avatar. When I have the controller in my hands and I am moving a character around, that character is my avatar. They represent me in the game. We do this with our sports teams. An insult to the avatar is an insult to me. Someone says the Bills suck, I take it personally. Because the Bills are my avatar. But the difference between Mario and the Bills is that I have control over Mario. Mario does what I tell him to do, barring any controller input. If I press the jump button, Mario is going to jump. If I say go left, Mario is going to go left. That's what makes the avatarism work. That's how he's an extension of me. When you have a, a video game where you create a character, you create a character that looks interesting to you, but that represents you in the game. But you don't have control over the team except as a consumer. It's minor and it's indirect control. Sure, you can have micro influence over the team by electing not to consume the product. We've talked about this before. That it's not the media's job to hold the team accountable. It's the consumer's job. But the consumer has trouble doing that because the TV deals that the NFL gets represent far more money than the in-game revenue and the merchandise that's controlled by the consumer. A lot of people would have to stop consuming the product for you to exert any sort of control over an NFL franchise. So we got to be careful about how we project our avatarism. We project it out onto things we control. That's okay. We project it out onto things we don't control. That creates a lot of frustration for us. People are insulting our team. Now they're insulting us. And Evan told me one time that he treats the Bills like he does his favorite TV show. You want certain things for the show. You hope the writers do those things. You have good seasons and bad seasons. They might do things that make you upset. They might make you mad. You still feel emotionally connected to it. You get upset if someone insults it. If someone says, what's your favorite show? You say, how I met your mother. They say, that's a stupid show. You do feel bad. You're like, whoa, oh, hold on. Because you feel defensive about your favorite show. And that's okay. But you recognize how little control you have over it and that it's not your avatar. Someone hating how I met your mother is not a reflection on you. That doesn't mean don't say we. That's not what I'm saying. I say we all the time. You say we all the time. We as part of the team. That's okay. That's fine. You don't actually mean you're part of the team. You don't actually mean that you have control over it because you don't, and you know that. We just need to frame it better for ourselves because the offseason happens a lot. The dialogue happens most frequently between fan bases in the offseason. In the regular season, you don't see Titans fans talk to Buffalo fans very much unless it's Bill's Titans week. In the offseason, this stuff crosses over a lot more, which is why this is a more relevant talking point this particular time of year. Avatarism. Feeling part of the community is fine. Saying we is fine. I'm not saying any of that stuff. Do what brings you joy. But if we frame it the way that Evan has historically talked about, the way he talked to me about it, 
framing it like your favorite television show. You still have emotional connection to it. You still love it. You hope things go one way. You hope they go the other way. But there's a disconnect in you knowing that you don't have control over it. And that makes the avatarism a little bit healthier. So if you really want the Buffalo Bills to sign a big ticket guard in free agency, and they don't, I really wanted them to kill off this character, and they didn't. Same thing. It's one of my favorite similes that I've ever gotten in the time I've been doing this show, and I've been waiting for the right time to use it. And when I was playing Super Mario Maker with my wife, that happened, and I had an epiphany. And I said, this is the time to use this simile from Evan. So, we talked about archetypes. We talked about avatars. Not the blue people who show up in 3D on your movie screen. The next time I talk to you, free agency tampering period will be upon us. It's going to be delightful. We're going to have a good time. And if you're all nervous and the Bills don't do what you want them to do, just take a deep breath. Recognize that sometimes the writers of your favorite show don't do the things you want them to do and say, what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumpers.